Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 48 Hours ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Need more true crime in your life? An Audible membership can solve that. Audible is the ultimate destination for thrilling audio entertainment. As an Audible member, you could choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog. Don't miss The Serial Killer's Apprentice by Katherine Ramsland and Tracy Allman. It follows the true story of how Houston's deadliest murder turned a kid into a killer in training. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash 48 hours or text 48 hours to 500-500. That's audible.com slash 48 hours or text 48 hours to 500-500 to try Audible free for 30 days. Audible.com slash 48 hours. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Real people. Real crimes. Real life drama. Torrey Pines is a beautiful piece of nature in Southern California. What's beautiful about a beach is also what's dangerous about it. There's a very different vibe of what it feels like to be there in the middle of the day versus 10 at night. There is a little feeling of you don't know exactly what's out there. 1978, Barbara Nante and Jamal decided to go on a camping trip to the beach at Torrey Pines. Stole my heart the minute I saw her. You know, it's that feeling everyone gets, you know, when you when you find that person that fits. They were really good together. They loved each other. They had so much fun together, and you could see it. Barbara, she was outspoken, very popular, funny. Jim, great personality. He was the life of the party. And my sister was like that, too. Barbara and Jim set up their sleeping bags on the beach itself and it was sometime in the night after they had fallen asleep that they were attacked. Jim Alt had been beaten and was very severely injured. I was knocked unconscious. I couldn't protect her. I couldn't defend myself. My dad looked at me and said, your sister has been murdered. I didn't find out till years later how bad it really was. I'm gonna say the body was around this position here somewhere. They found her lying here nude, and she also had some uh, some cut marks on one of her breasts. Who would want to kill her when, and why? Six years later, in 1984, another young woman, Claire Huff, who was 14, was found murdered on Torrey Pines at nearly the identical location. I just said, don't go down there alone. I think about her just about every day. She was my best friend. You get to this crime scene, look at the body and see what? 
again, there was a mutilation of the breast. Uh, my first thought was, hey, this is very similar to the one that happened six years ago. How much evidence was there? How many leads? Not any at all, really. I just remember going crazy in my mind. Is there something I'm not remembering? Is there something I saw? I want to put a face to this crime because it's been faceless for almost 37 years. There really was no big break until 2012 when police finally got hits on the DNA evidence that they had from the crime scene. San Diego police have identified a former San Diego police criminalist as one of two suspects in the 1984 murder of 14-year-old Claire Huff. It was a big surprise that of all people in the world you could find as a suspect, that it would be somebody who had actually worked for the police department. He had a nickname in the crime lab, right? You know what that was? His nickname was Kinky. He liked strip clubs. He liked taking pictures of women. My husband didn't do it. He didn't go after teenagers. I knew they were wrong. This has multiple suspects. There are a variety of motives. As a murder mystery, this has everything you would want. I'm Richard Schlesinger. Tonight on 48 Hours, blood in the sand. A sense of safety is important to everyone, and that's why I want to talk to you about Simply Safe. It's an advanced security system that protects your entire home so you can rest easy. Simply Safe is completely customizable with advanced sensors to detect break ins, fires, floods, and more. You can have 24 7 professional home monitoring for less than $1 a day. So try Simply Safe for 60 days risk free. If you don't love it, you can return your system for a full refund. Plus, we're offering listeners 20% off any new Simply Safe system. When you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring, don't wait. Visit simplysafe.com/48hours. That's simplysafe.com/48hours. There's no safe like Simply Safe. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Every morning, for the last 37 years, Jim Alt wakes up terrified, thinking that it's 1978, that he's just been brutally attacked on Torrey Pines Beach. When I become aware that I'm awake, I do not open my eyes. I put my hands on the bed and I feel for that sheet, or I feel for sand of a beach. You still do that? Yes, sir. I, before my eyes are open, I want to know where I'm at. It wasn't always this way. The beach used to be Jim's second home, a safe place, a fun place. And you were a big surfer. Absolutely. There's not a feeling on earth like surfing. It's just there's a, a big rush in, inside your body. Rick Selga has felt that rush. He was one of Jim's good friends back then. 
Who was the better surfer between the two? Uh, probably he was. <laughs> Do you remember what he was like back then? He was a big, strong, funny, happy guy. He was probably the, the guy that everybody looked up to. And this is probably one reason why. Jim was featured in a wetsuit ad in Surfer Magazine. We were rock stars, yeah, all of us in there. When that out, when that uh, magazine, that issue came out, we we autographed quite a few. And he had a lot of girls that liked him, but he didn't see anybody else but her. Jim Alt only had eyes for 15-year-old Barbara Nantes. They were the all-American couple. Jim, the surfer, had been dating Barbara, the cheerleader, for nine months. Man, just a beautiful girl, brown hair, brown eyes. I, I was in love with her the minute I saw her. They were introduced by Barbara's sister, Sue. She was outspoken, really stubborn, and set in her ways. We had lots of arguments and fights and disagreements, as sisters do. Barbara's parents, Ralph and Judy Nantes, knew they had their work cut out for them pretty early on. So she wasn't just another pretty face. No, she wasn't. She was tough as nails. She was a popular, defiant, beautiful, pain in the ass, wonderful mm. daughter, you know. God gave her to me to keep me humble, mm. and it worked. On the weekend of August 12, 1978, Ralph and Judy Nantes left town to visit some friends. A family friend was looking after Barbara and her three siblings. Before leaving, Ralph Nantes took Jim Alt aside. What did you tell him? Take care of my girl, okay, and uh, make sure that she's safe. I told her father and, and mother, you know, that we would stay put. And um, again, that, that, you know, I've said it before, it's the biggest mistake or the biggest lie I've ever told in my life. Almost as soon as Barbara's parents left, she and Jim hopped into a station wagon with Rick Selga and his girlfriend, and they all drove off to the beach. I remember as they pulled off, though, just saying, you guys better be careful, you know? And they're kind of like, yeah, ha, ha. My sister's like, see ya. The four friends eventually ended up at Torrey Pines Beach. Parking lot was filled with people. It was like a big party. Around 9.30 p.m., the friends called it a night. Rick and his girlfriend decided to sleep in the station wagon, and Jim and Barbara went down to the beach for some privacy. I zipped the sleeping bags together, and, and we, we crawl in them, and, uh, and went to sleep. She was in my arms. Um, that's the last thing I remember. The next morning, Jim woke up cold and alone and wet. He was covered in blood. I'm freezing. I'm, I'm feeling for Barbara. Don't know where she is. I don't know anything. I can't see anything. Don't hear anything. He was blinded and disoriented, so Jim had to feel his way along a fence up the sandy hill to the parking lot where his friends were sleeping in the car. Jim came up here and he, he was down low like this and he rapped on the window. And what did he look like then? His face was swollen, blood all over his blonde hair, you know, and uh, his head was probably about that big. Jim had been savagely beaten with a rock and a log from a fire pit on the beach. Uh, Did he say anything to you? He goes, go find Barb. 
So I ran down to the beach looking for her, and she was there. Barbara's nude, lifeless body lay on the beach. I was thinking, what do I do? I think that I just yelled at some people to call the police. Homicide officers say what started out as an evening with friends turned out to be a night of death. Paul Iberando was a sergeant for the San Diego Police Department. He was one of the first investigators on the scene. When we uncovered the body, it was uh, uh, covered with sand. She has some very uh, severe looking wounds on her head. Uh, looked like uh, she'd probably been struck with something, perhaps the rocks that we found nearby. Barbara's murder had been vicious. There was sand in her mouth, and the killer left a gruesome mark. It appeared that somebody had uh, taken a sharp instrument and cut around the areola of her breast and also around the nipple of the breast. So she'd been sort of mutilated? Mutilated. Later on, it was uh, determined that she had uh, been raped and, and sodomized. Soon after, Barbara's parents were notified. And I just started screaming, no, no, no. I, I must have just said it 50 times. It's like somebody took a uh, sledgehammer and hit me in the head because we didn't even know that the kids were down there. We had no idea. Jim Alt had been rushed to the hospital. He had suffered a traumatic brain injury and was in a coma for days. When he awoke, he had no memory of the attack. I've got titanium in the cranium, stainless steel. Um, I've got that, that plate that runs right about there. And this was a serious, life-threatening yes, attack. Yes, sir. I almost did not make it. Jim was briefly investigated, but ruled out as a suspect. His injuries were too severe. Paul Iberando and other investigators tracked down other leads, but police could not find the killer. The bloody attack and murder haunted everyone for years. They were just kids, you know, that stuff didn't happen. But a few years later, Claire Huff's body was found on Torrey Pines Beach. She was murdered identically to Barbara. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. In the years after Barbara Nantes' murder, her family struggled with the overwhelming loss and pain. There was situations, you know, where I'd wake up in a cold sweat, crying, 
just the sadness at losing this child that you loved. When you're the mom, you just carry that. I felt like I was a complete failure as a mother. Barbara's parents were both sad and angry at their daughter for lying to them. But Ralph Nantes was especially furious at Jim Alt. I didn't want to see him and I didn't want to talk to him. That's exactly what I felt. You didn't keep my little girl safe. Yeah, I was very, very upset. It hurts. I didn't bring their daughter home. Six years later, Claire Huff's loved ones faced the same pain that originated in the same place. She was like Barbara Nantes, a year younger, just 14, smart and spirited. And she loved the beach. She just had an inner light, a joy about her. It's hard to explain unless you've met her. Kim Jamer was Claire Hoff's best friend. Very gentle, funny, kind. Claire's parents, Sam and Penny Huff, were and are immensely proud of her. She was the class mediator. Kids who got into arguments would ask Claire to adjudicate. A couple of times she got in trouble in school because the teacher had accused someone wrongly and Claire wouldn't put up with it. She fought back. Claire learned to love the ocean early on. She grew up on the coast of Rhode Island and spent as much time as she could walking along the shore with Kim. We grew up looking for treasures and bringing her mom pretty things home from the ocean, sea glass and pretty shells. Claire had also spent a lot of time on San Diego's beaches. Her grandparents lived just a few blocks away from Torrey Pines Beach. One of the first pictures of Claire was taken there. She was still small enough to be carried. This may be her first introduction to real ocean surf. The Huffs had always considered it a safe place. And in the summer of 1984, they sent Claire and her brother out to California for a visit with their grandparents. Kim Jamer went along too. We could just be silly and nobody knew us and it didn't matter how goofy we got. And it was just really fun. The night before Kim was supposed to head home, Claire convinced her to sneak out of her grandparents' house and go to the beach after dark. But once they got there and settled near their favorite spot by the bridge, Kim almost immediately had a panic attack. It was just an awful feeling. I knew how freaked out I was, how somebody could just walk right up and by you without you even knowing they were there. You asked Claire to make you a promise when you were back at the yep. house. What was the promise? I just didn't want her sneaking out by herself again. Two days later, after Kim went back to Rhode Island, Claire broke that promise. And on August 24th, 1984, Claire Huff's body was found by a beachcomber near the bridge. Retired Detective Paul Iberando also worked on this case and was interviewed by our CBS local station back then. We are evaluating all the evidence we recovered at the scene. Claire had been found just a few hundred yards from where Barbara Nantes had been killed. To me, it was a lot of similarities there. 
Like Barbara Nantes, Claire Huff also had been beaten, strangled, and sexually assaulted. It was determined at the autopsy that this girl had a lot of sand uh, packed in her mouth and larynx area. Our other victim had sand in her mouth. But perhaps most chilling, like Barbara's, Claire's breast had also been mutilated. We either have a, a serial killer or a repeat performance by the person that probably did the first case. It didn't take long to find a promising suspect. As soon as they heard about their daughter's death, Sam and Penny Huff went to Torrey Pine State Beach. Before long, they were approached by a man named Wallace Wheeler. He was the beachcomber who had found Claire's body. He said, I'm Wally Wheeler, I'm a psychic. With his hand outstretched. He said what? Hi, I'm, I'm Wally Wheeler, I'm a psychic. From there, things only got stranger. And then he went on for half an hour with this long tale about how he could see at night. He had been a fighter pilot. And so what did you make of Wally Wheeler, the psychic? He was strange. So then we called the police to tell him, tell them that. The police encouraged Claire's parents to keep communicating with Wheeler, thinking he might confess or at least give them some useful information. Wheeler wrote long and rambling letters to the Huffs, one of them saying Claire was coming to him in visions. That was why she let me see her smiling face and her eyes were radiant. This is a guy who found a bloody mutilated body and he's talking about smiling face and radiant eyes. The letters were odd, very odd. The police questioned Wheeler, but he never confessed to anything and the letters eventually stopped. What was the last thing you heard about Wallace Wheeler? That he had killed himself. Threw himself off the top of a building, 13-story building, and died. Investigators would later tell the Huffs that they had ruled Wheeler out as a suspect, but the Huffs were convinced for years that Wheeler was their daughter's killer. You thought he was involved somehow? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We assumed that Wheeler had done it. For all the intrigue surrounding Wallace Wheeler, the loved ones of the first victim, Barbara Nantes, had never even heard of him at the time. In fact, the families did not even know about each other. But around 2008, the San Diego Police Department posted the cases on its website and for the first time said publicly that the police believed Claire Huff and Barbara Nantes had likely been murdered by the same killer. I was mad that that it happened to Claire and that we weren't informed. But who may have been responsible would remain a mystery for four more years until advanced DNA testing revealed two suspects, and one of them was one of their own. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 
That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. For decades after the murders of Barbara Nantes and Claire Hoff, the San Diego Police Department kept investigating sporadically. But nothing had ever materialized. Claire's friend, Kim Jamer, kept waiting for some news. Did you think about this case a lot? All the time. I mean, you know nothing's going to bring your friend back, and you just hope that no one is out there hurting other people. In 2012, there was finally a promising development. The cases were reopened, investigators hoping advanced DNA technology would change the course of things. It was encouraging for Barbara's parents, Judy and Ralph Nantes. I was cautiously optimistic. They would be disappointed. The new DNA test would find nothing useful on their daughter, but Claire Huff's friend, Kim, would soon get a visit from a detective. He brought several pictures. Did you see any of these people during your trip? I didn't recognize anything. Kim was given few details, but she had a feeling that investigators were finally onto something. I was like, finally, somebody's really looking into this. 48 Hours obtained the San Diego Police Department's case affidavits and search warrants. And here's what Kim Jamer didn't know. Police had found two DNA hits on Claire Huff. Blood on her jeans was linked to a convicted rapist named Ronald Tatro. The other DNA, a tiny microscopic amount reportedly found inside Claire, was linked to a man named Kevin Brown. Police knew Kevin Brown. He was a former criminalist in their lab. I was getting ready for work, and there was the knock, and two detectives were there. Rebecca Brown, a Catholic school teacher, had been married to 61-year-old Kevin Brown for more than 20 years. Kevin retired from the San Diego Police Department in 2002. So I thought, okay, they're talking about some case that he worked on. Rebecca and Kevin met in 1992 through the old school version of online dating, the classifieds. And a few months later, they married. He was uh, so sweet. He would open the car door for me and he loved animals like I did. He loved cats. He was a sweetheart. The Browns had led a quiet life revolving around church, travel, and their pets before that visit by investigators in January of 2014. Did you listen to what they were saying to him? I started and I thought, well, that's kind of going odd. What's with this? The detective showed Brown a picture of Ronald Tatro and asked if he knew him. What did he say? He said, I've never seen this man. I don't know him. Journalist James Vlahos wrote about the case in October 2015 for The Atlantic magazine. He is a CBS News consultant. Did the police go and talk to Ronald Tatro when they found his DNA in Claire Huff's body? They would have liked to have done that, but Ronald Tatro was already dead. 
Tetro had drowned in what was ruled a boating accident in Tennessee in 2011. But to this day, there is suspicion it was a suicide. His wallet had been placed on the seat, his glasses had been placed on the seat, and they said it looked as if he intended to go into the water. Another thing that certainly raises eyebrows is that his death took place on the anniversary of Claire Huff's murder. Kevin Brown, the retired criminalist, was now the only living suspect. Police showed him a picture of Claire Huff. What did he say? Oh, sure, I remember her. The detectives told Brown that his DNA had been found in the evidence. They didn't tell him where or how they found it. The police maintained that it was Kevin who first mentioned the possibility of it being found on a vaginal swab. The investigation ramped up quickly. That same afternoon, investigators served a search warrant on his property, looking for any evidence related to the murders of both Claire Huff and Barbara Nantes, because they were so similar. I said, you've got to clear this up. This is crazy. And he said, I tried telling them. I don't know what they're talking about. I never killed anybody in my life. You know that. And I do know that. In my deep core, I know he never killed anybody. But investigators believed Kevin Brown had a dark side. At the time of Claire Huff's murder, Kevin was a bachelor in his 30s and had a randy reputation at the crime lab. He had a nickname, Kinky Kevin Brown, and that was because we knew that he frequented uh, strip clubs. They called him Kinky Kevin? Yeah, we called him. His nickname was Kinky. Retired criminalist Jim Stamm and John Dorina worked with Kevin in the lab for years. Did he brag about going to the strip clubs? I mean, did he make any secret of it? Early on, I don't think he kept it a secret, but he did have friends that would go with him to either a movie or a strip club, I believe. He would go to, what, dirty movies? I, I believe it was a, yeah. a, a, a porn movie, yes. Dorina and Stam never saw any inappropriate behavior by Brown in the lab, but he made some female colleagues uncomfortable. There was a criminalist who worked with Kevin Brown, and she describes how Kevin took a report of a violent rape, and when she was alone in the lab with him, read it aloud to her and made a remark along the lines of, isn't that funny? After that, she never felt comfortable being alone with him in the lab again. As they dug into Brown's background, investigators learned more about his hobbies. He enjoyed photography, and in the 80s, he went to lingerie and boudoir shoots advertised in a local magazine. Photographer Rocky Ferguson took photos of aspiring models with Kevin. So they pose for the photographer, and yes. in return, they get a free picture? Yes. But Rocky says that sometimes certain photographers would make arrangements for private sessions that were more racy. And, and, and Kevin did that? Kevin did his own thing. If he likes somebody, he'll hire his own models. In these private sessions, what would happen? Adult-type stuff. Adult stuff. Yes. Naughty stuff. Yes. Explicit photos. Kevin Brown's pastimes as a bachelor may have raised detectives' eyebrows, but his statements during the investigation made them even more suspicious. Although he initially denied having actually met Claire Huff, Brown later seemed to make a startling admission. He had done some thinking, and that he now did recall having met someone named Claire in the 1980s and possibly having sex with her. 
And then he got himself into even deeper trouble. According to the affidavit, Kevin Brown volunteered to take a lie detector test. He failed. And after the polygraph, an investigator talked to him about Claire Huff, saying, I don't believe for a second that you thought she was 14. And Brown reportedly responded, I had no idea. Then police learned Kevin Brown had called a friend and told him, allegedly, the police are looking at me as a suspect. This girl I photographed on the beach ended up dead. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Ever since investigators got that DNA hit on Claire Huff in 2012, they had been quietly trying to build a case against Kevin Brown. But his wife, Rebecca Brown, stood by him. I never thought he was a killer. Never, never. This is a man who didn't have a mean bone in his body. Well, you know all those things that people are saying about he was going to strip clubs and taking Uh, photographs of naked women. Um, He'd shown me some, and majority were just, like, just cutesy poses, glamour shots. Did the fact that some of those photo shoots went farther than others bother you about him? No, it didn't make me... He had normal male sex drive, and that was back when he was single, and he would have thought, wow, this is great. If everybody, whoever looked at a photo of a scantily clad woman, or if everybody who ever went to a strip club is likely to be a serial killer, I'm afraid we're going to have to build quite a few more prisons. We do not convict people on their character. Hired on the police proceedings. Attorneys Jean Iredale and Gretchen von Helms represent the Browns. This was a violent, sadistic, choking, killing. The scope of what happened to these poor young women who were brutally sexually assaulted and murdered is quite different from going to a strip club or going into a porn shop or reading an off-color story. The lawyers argue that there is almost no case against Kevin Brown. For starters, they say, investigators could never say if or when or how Kevin Brown, the mild-mannered criminalist, met Ronald Tatro, the violent convicted rapist. Zero evidence that they had ever seen each other or met at any time. Zero. They say there are perfectly innocent explanations for Kevin Brown's actions and statements, like the one he made when detectives showed him a picture of Claire Huff. He said at one point, 
oh, I remember her. Why did he say that? It was a well-known case, and that photograph that they showed him had been one that had been in the newspaper. But Brown also said he may have met someone named Claire in the 80s and that he might have had sex with her. Iredale says Brown was just being honest. I think that he said he had met a Claire, but the Claire that he was talking about was a woman who was 30 years old. Even the investigators seem to acknowledge in the affidavit that this woman did not sound like Claire Huff. But remember, Brown had allegedly also told a friend that he photographed a girl who was found dead on the beach. The man to whom this statement is attributed says he never said such a thing. Gretchen von Helms argues investigators had tunnel vision and interpreted everything Kevin Brown said as evidence of his guilt. She says that's what happened when Brown told the detective he had no idea Claire was 14. They immediately think the, the suspicious, guilty version of that versus, oh my God, you're telling me this awful crime. A normal citizen, when they're told about this awful crime and say, oh my gosh, this poor child was 14, how awful this is. The attorneys admit Kevin Brown's personality did little to help him during the investigation. He was one of the worst public speakers, let's say, in the history of the San Diego Police Department lab. He was kind of like a nervous Nelly. Retired criminalist John Dorina and Jim Stam say Kevin Brown was, at best, a shaky witness for the police in court cases. Whenever he got confronted, he got very nervous and very upset. He wanted to agree. He wanted to please them. I think that his personality is set up so that I could almost convince him to say anything. You, know, you, could, you can bully him. It's, it's easy to bully him. But Kevin Brown's shyness or awkwardness cannot explain his DNA on that swab. Several swabs were taken from inside Claire during the autopsy. The medical examiner tested one of them in 1984 and found nothing. Another swab was sent to the San Diego Police Department lab, and that's where the lawyers say the trouble began. It was not kept in a way that would ensure the integrity of the evidence. It was the early 80s before much was known about DNA, and the procedures now used to prevent contamination did not exist. How different were the procedures back then? A lot. I mean, we didn't wear masks for sure. Kevin Brown did not work on the Claire Huff case, but he worked near the criminalist who processed the evidence, including that swab where a minute amount of Brown's DNA was later found. The swab itself was put to dry in the open air. Without a cap. On a table near where Mr. Brown worked. Everything that was able to be airborne could have gone and touched that swab. The, the, the problem, though, with this case is, seems to me, that the allegation is that this isn't sweat or spit. It's his semen. How, how would his you semen get on a swab? You can still have cross-contamination of semen because they had to have fresh samples of semen in the San Diego lab. At the time of Claire Huff's murder, criminalists would often bring their own seminal fluid to the lab and use it to ensure the chemicals used to detect semen were working correctly. Dorina and Stam believe that all the criminalists in the lab did it. I, I think Kevin was doing that same thing. 
The San Diego Police Department, however, insists that contamination was not possible. But the retired criminalists know what they saw. Most likely, Kevin's semen standard was in that lab and several analysts may have even had it. It may have been even used on that particular, on, on Ms. Hoff's case. We didn't switch gloves back then either. So let's say the analyst took Kevin's semen sample, wearing the same gloves, and then handled the deep vaginal swab. There's a, a logical explanation for the contamination. Cross-contamination does happen. There have been cases of lab technicians' DNA ending up on evidence documented in several states and at least four other countries. So, given the lab procedures in effect at the time and the lack of other solid evidence, Kevin Brown was assured the case against him was weak. And I believed that they lacked the evidence necessary to charge Mr. Kevin Brown with these murders. But by mid-2014, the stress of the investigation, which was dragging on, was making Kevin Brown very anxious. I said, call him and get it straightened out. And he said, they just said, you know you killed her, and you may as well confess. And he hung up the phone and he said, I didn't even say anything back to him, because I didn't know what else to say at this point. He said, I didn't do it, and they're not going to ever believe me. Rebecca hoped their nightmare would soon end but it would not end in a way that anyone expected. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. On the morning of October 20th, 2014, Rebecca Brown came home from work and found her husband's Bible sitting on the table. In it, he had underlined a psalm about being wrongfully accused. His watch was there and his cell phone was there. And so I asked my mother, where is Kevin? And she had just said, he went somewhere. He went out, he was cleaned up, he'd shaved, he'd showered looked nice, and said, I have things to do. Kevin didn't come home that night, and the following day, Rebecca got the news she feared most. And I was just sitting there waiting, and then there was the door knock, and it was the detective. And he said, we've found your husband, and he's gone. 
a ranger at a state park near where the Browns had a vacation cabin, had found Kevin hanging from a tree. Were you surprised, even after everything that he'd been we through? We tried to, I tried to keep his spirits up. You thought you had kept him safe. Oh my. <laughs> yeah. Rebecca Brown is adamant that her husband's suicide was not an admission of guilt. I totally understand why he did it. He knew there would be people who would think even if he went to court and was found not guilty, that would believe it. And this was gonna tarnish his reputation that he prided himself in. He didn't escape that, of course. After he died, the police held a news conference. Yeah. Three days after his death, the San Diego Police Department publicly named Kevin Brown as one of two suspects in Claire Huff's murder. We were able to establish a very strong case that Ronald Tatro and Kevin Brown were the suspects in the murder of Claire Huff, and also an arrest for Brown would be forthcoming. You never had enough to arrest him in his lifetime, and now that he's gone, you're going to just say, he did it, case solved, it's done. Why do you think they did that? Because this can be very tidy for them. Rebecca has answered the police charges with charges of her own. She has filed suit against the city of San Diego and investigators for misconduct and wrongful death. He was not a rapist and a killer. He was a quiet, good man. And I'm hoping the legal system will help set things right. The San Diego Police Department refused our request for an interview, but Penny and Sam Huff, Claire's parents, have the answers they need. We're confident in the San Diego Police Department and their discoveries. The Huff family says after 30 years, the details surrounding their daughter's death are not as important to them as remembering her life. We've learned to live with her death. We've learned to live without her physical presence in our family. To us, what's important is what Claire was and what Claire meant to us and, and to the people around her. And this is sort of a still life, I yep, guess. That's a ninth grade yeah, one. She, 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 Claire she left her mother her and father with a lot of memories. Well, it looks like all her favorite rock groups. And at 14, she had the foresight to leave a will telling her family and friends that she loved them and not to be sad. You made me realize how precious and beautiful life is. Thank you. I wish I could list all the wonderful things you've done, but everyone would fall asleep. I love you both. What did it mean to you that she had done this and she had written this? It's always a puzzle why she did it, but it is also a treasure. But the family of Barbara Nantes, the first victim in this case, still has as many questions about her murder as they did in 1978. Reality, what happened to her, it's just so hard to think. I want to know her. I want, I want to know what she would have done. Police now say Barbara and Claire's cases are not connected. I would like a viable suspect, but we don't have one. Ronald Tatra was in prison for rape at the time of Barbara's murder, and Kevin Brown was attending college in Sacramento 500 miles away, Barbara's boyfriend, Jim Alt. 
What has it done to you over the years, especially with the developments in Claire's case, to see this case still remain open? It's devastating. We want answers. We want to know what they're doing to solve this. Even today, Jim Alt says he's suffering from survivor's guilt. It has stayed with him, even though Barbara's father, Ralph, sent him a letter long ago apologizing for having blamed him for her death. I want you to know that I don't hold you responsible for Barbara's death. When I was grieving over her death, I needed to blame someone. And since she was with you, I lashed out at you. Jim, you were trying to be alone with Barbara is probably what every red-blooded American boy dreams of. Unfortunately, the time you spent together turned out to be a disaster. But the chance of that happening was probably one in a million. Yours truly, Ralph Mantis. It still is hard for you to read that without choking up. Yes, sir. He's absolving you in a way. Does that help you? When I first read it, it did. But you can't hide what, what happened. Because of a decision Barbara and I made, she never came home. So I, I own part of that decision. And I'll take that to the grave with me. Barbara Nantes' case remains open. The San Diego police consider the Claire Huff case closed. Rebecca Brown's lawsuit against the city of San Diego is expected to go to trial in 2017. Is there reasonable doubt about Kevin Brown and Claire Huff's case? Chat now with correspondent Richard Schlesinger on Twitter. True crime with you on your shirt, mug, or hat with official 48 Hours merchandise at ParamountShop.com. You can take 20% off with code HOURS20. That's 20% off at checkout on all 48 Hours products with code HOURS20 at ParamountShop.com. It only takes two minutes of sheer horror. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He's suffocating people with a pillows. Leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase Murders, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God, this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts.